So I don't know um, exactly, obviously, what you said in the show today, but I'm wondering if you talked about um, uh, trauma and PTSD at all. We did not go deeply into trauma and PTSD. We talked a lot about, um, and Courtney can jump in, we talked a lot about sort of explaining what she had gone through and how she was able to sort of, under what circumstances was she able to sort of connect to people online and talk about um, what was going on and versus not be able to connect them. So it was really more about that sort of the trolls online and sort of her ability to connect with some and not others and how she did the whole awesome data visualization of what she had been dealing with. So, so Courtney, did you, are, I don't know if, if that's something you're open about or it's something that, sure. that you have, but I, I have, you know, it's, it's a little bit in my play the law project and I'll, I'll be much more public about it later that I have PTSD. Um, right. so is this, this something that you have as well? Yes. And, uh, I'm curious. So people who don't know, don't ha- deal with this. Um, part of what it means is that, uh, and one of the, and I don't know if you talked about trigger alerts. No, we didn't, we didn't get into like trigger warnings or anything now. Okay. Cause there are probably equivalents in other situations when you're managing stuff, not just about rape per se, but things that are difficult news things or, um, anything that's really intense emotionally. If you're trying to bring people together, um, you know, there are some people that you're going to trigger and what that means. Cause one of the things I noticed, Courtney, when I went through all the, a lot of stuff online was people were mocking that people were talking about trigger alerts. Yeah. Yeah. In some of the writing. And um, so that's the way someone's trying to, when someone says trigger alert, it's a way of trying to make the space kind of safer for people who they are aware this could set off. Uh, and then people who don't know what that is just think of it as some kind of, I don't know, touchy feely talk. Uh huh. Um, so can you maybe explain a little bit to people what that means if you say trigger alert, why you would say it? So yeah, the thing with trigger warnings, um, the way that that works is that it's it's being aware enough about the subject matter you're dealing with to know that it you know might be triggering for somebody. I understand that yes, everybody could like in comments now come up with a bunch of hypothetical things that you would never know to warn for, but you you know in theory if you're doing trigger warnings for this, you should warn for that or what have you. And what is a tri- why would someone need a trigger warning? Cuz I think some people have no idea what the hell that means. I, obviously no one mocking it doesn't right. understand what that means. The the way I use them um, is, oh, God, 99.999% of the time, I just, you know, it's like a a header of subject matter. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I read the post anyway. Uh, For example, though, given, uh, you know, like that that really weird month where I was, you know, being triggered a lot and thinking about my rape a lot because of a lot of other factors – that was actually incredibly helpful because, you know, fuck, sometimes there are, I, are days I don't want to read about it. Like, I don't want to think about my own. I don't want to read about somebody else's. I don't want to hear about what, uh, you know, a state Congress is doing to make it illegal, you know, or legal mm-hmm. or what, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. And because I'm, I've already been triggered enough that day or I just, I and, don't want to do it. When you're triggered, what happens? Because I don't think some people understand what that means to be triggered. <laughs> well, for um, what it is, is your brain basically, as it's been explained to me, is it recreates the uh, sort of emotional patterns of the event itself. So for me, uh, I feel incredibly unsafe no matter where mm-hmm. I am at the time. I, I mean, at home, uh, I don't 
feel safe having anybody near me, including like my partner who is normally like my bastion for comfort and safety. So there's this really disquieting uh, disconnect because it's like, I understand, I normally feel all these things. I feel really alone. I feel really scared. And then like, I, I don't even want the person I would normally go to when I'm alone and scared to touch me. Cause it like, I feel nauseous. Um, if I'm in public, it's even worse because then you get that really strong fight between like how you know you're supposed to behave in public and how you're feeling right then. And so that usually involves like having to go find like a, a elevator or like a quiet like access <laughs> hallway or something and just like trying to wait for that to pass. Uh, it's also really hard because you can start negatively self-talking uh, about it like when it's happening or after it happens or when you feel it coming on like the fuck is wrong with you like you know come on get over it you know like all the stuff that people tell you like basically yeah i I can be afraid that someone else is going to say there's something horribly wrong with me and there's gonna be like i'm already not feeling safe And, and so that if i end up behaving in a way where um Fortunately for me, it hasn't happened many times, and I've learned hopefully how to stop it from coming on. But you can have, I would call it almost an eruption. Like when you hear about somebody, um, you know, shooting up the post office on the anniversary of the death of their best friend in Vietnam that was shot next to them, that's P- classic PTSD thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you're experiencing it, there's no time, right? Right. All of it's, a sudden, it's happening forever. It's yeah. happening right now. So your yeah. body is having fight or flight as if someone's put a gun to your head, someone's raping you, whatever happened to you is happening to you again. And so when people make fun of this online, I don't think they're aware. They're well, not aware of what the experience was like in the first place. And they don't yeah. get that by putting this stuff out there, they're helping create it for you again. And then when you're in that space, you can sometimes behave in ways where that could set other people off. Because you're going to sometimes behave as though you're defending your life. Mm. Right. So, uh, which I personally think is a much larger cultural issue. And and it may explain sometimes some people's behavior in certain group situations. Yeah. Uh, So so to try to contain all this, if you're tumbling, is is pretty tough, any situation. Uh, And I just wanted, I guess, to put that out there. Because part of what I'm wondering, it was knowing that you had this, had, uh, had this potential to take this stuff on the way you took it on is pretty impressive because it had the potential to set this off for you. And it had the potential to give many, many moments that could set this experiential thing off for you. Yeah. I, I don't think I was aware of that, honestly, when I, uh, when I, when I, cause I, I really, I mean, we're talking about a blog that went from on average five to seven hits a day to 19,000 hits a day. Um, Mm. in days so it and i realized that that's not huge by like massive internet website standards but this is my tiny personal blog where i get to write about wherever i want like i really oh, that's it's huge like, that's it's huge where I, it's where i keep my like reviews of movies so my friends can find them you know it's re- it is really not something that like i understand it is public but i it's public the way that like your Tumblr is public, <laughs> you know, like no, unless yeah. you've got like one of the like five really popular Tumblrs, like not that many people are looking at you. And right. I, you know, when I made the post about that sort of started all this, I really genuinely did it as I say in the post, because I wanted to be able to just point people that I was having that conversation with to my blog instead of having to try and have that conversation in like a bar or something. So in a a way it was a kind of self-care thing, right? I don't have to repeat also because repeating (laughs) the story is sometimes like reliving it. You don't want to relive it. 
Well, and yeah, uh, and people kept being like, well, why aren't you going to like, pa-? like, cause everyone in the industry is like going to PAX cause it was local. It's in Boston. So everyone in the Boston game industry, it's like, mm-hmm. we're all, hang- we, we all hang out uh, a couple times a month uh, at various events and stuff. So it just kept coming up as people were like, oh, I submitted this talk or, oh, I, I, I want this panel or rah, rah, rah. And they'd ask me and I'm like, no, I'm not going. And I got invited to speak and I turned it down and you know, when you're at a group hangout session over beers, it's not necessarily the time where the other person wants to hear about, you know, why you think, like, their kind of crappy, unfunny rape joke isn't funny to you for a lot of personal reasons that, you know, they maybe weren't ready for. Like, it just seemed like a much easier way to have that conversation or <laughs> um, offer up that information to people who cared that I know. Right, because you expected people would read it and listen to it and get it right. and leave you alone like mature people would. <laughs> but, you know, in this regard, it's kind of similar. I mentioned it briefly to what um, in terms of you deciding not to go out in, in public and be in a space to what Kathy Sierra went through. But the difference that is how you dealt with it afterwards. It's sort of you decided to engage. And that's really, to Heather's point, the courageous part. You, right? you didn't just engage. I mean, some of the stuff you did, you guys probably already talked about this in the show, but the, the visualization especially, which was pretty profound. I mean, a lot of what you did was profound, I think. you. I've never seen haters tumult. You were like, let's talk to all the haters. So you kind of mirrored them. You showed them themselves, which is, which is, I think, from my experience, one of the most powerful things you can do. You know, as a comic, you can deal with hecklers or haters a lot of ways. And one of the things that turned my performance towards a sort of tumbling, interactive style was that I, I was someone who got shot down a lot as a kid, and I didn't want to shoot someone else down. But that's a very quick, effective way of shutting up the room and sort of holding the, the, the mic at the, the head, the center. And one of the things I've used often when some, because of course people still do behave badly and do all kinds of shit that's not going to help the show. <laughs> and I still need to deal with them. And I need to find a way to deal with them that isn't going to shut the rest of the room participating down. And showing them themselves is very powerful. Like wading into the moment, it takes a certain kind of um, willingness to be with the discomfort. But I think it's one of the most powerful techniques you can use. But it's something people often avoid because they don't want the conflict. So they'll just step away from the whole thing and you won't even get into, you know, what the real issue is. So I, I think, first of all, I was just, I want to commend you. I think it's really brave. I think it was a really brilliant stroke of how to deal with it. And then you're just like, because... I'm sure you must have talked about this. Every time you talk about rape on the internet, there's just a ton of people who show up and mock (laughs) you for being raped. It's just a given. Yeah. Uh, And I don't think it's magic about the internet. I think in real life, if guys, if people, I think it's almost all guys who get away with it, they would. I think that's how a lot of people feel. I think they feel attacked by the idea that women's issues rape. Every, a lot of guys feel like they're attacking them personally. Well, I think, a lot of it too. Um, one one weird thing that happens when you become a highly visible rape survivor who advocates for rape and sexual assault survivors, uh, and is that <laughs> a lot of people um, come and talk to you about their rape or sexual assault. Um, right. And uh, <laughs> excuse me, something that has you know distressingly come up is that i now know multiple people in my industry who are rape and sexual assault survivors uh who were attacked by other people in my industry because i think a a lot of the ideas around um what sexual assault is and what rape is it's 
really not uh, as clear as I think, or I think people convolute it. Like it, it becomes a thing of like, well, it's not something I've ever done. Surely it's not something any of my friends have ever done. So I don't think that like, so it's something that is done by people who are not like me. And it happens to people who aren't like me. And that's that. And so this idea of like, well, yeah, but you know, once like, you know, getting someone like enough drinks to take them home, you know, you start reading into these, these situations Mm -hmm. of like, well, and I've had this, I had this conversation very publicly on Twitter because I'm just, I'm sick of it. Um, is that thing of like, well, you know, where, where is the line of consent for you? Because that is what it is. It's not like, I mean, some race and sexual assaults are violent, but they're not all violent. And they are often perpetrated by people, at least I, it's my impression, at least some of them happen by people who don't realize what they're doing, um, who don't understand that well, they're I'll say sexually- this clear. They're, I think they're experienced violently. That doesn't mean there's like hitting right. somebody well, involved. That's, you know, <laughs> it's, it, the, the myth is that it's uh, a dark stranger lurking in the bushes and they attack you and beat you up and like, and you know, you violent rape, uh, you know, the, the, the legal language that they tried to introduce um, versus, you know, just like sort of somehow less violent rape that, you know, you can be guilty, uh, of, of not fighting back enough that you have to have bruises and all kinds of things in order for it to have been rape or sexual assault that, you know, they should have like tried to choke you to death and like threatened you to kill you with weapons. And that, you know, you had no way, but to you know, like, to like, there's these weird constructions of how that works. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, well, I think that sex is risky. And I think that, if you know you're you're dealing with an intoxicated person or you yourself are so intoxicated you don't have very good judgment and so can't determine whether or not somebody is you know capable of of consent then um yeah it's a risk you're taking and that's something that you then might have to deal with afterwards and it's like it's i don't think people realize that it's like you you know you do have to like continue living it's not like sexual predators appear rape somebody and then disappear. <laughs> like these are actually like people who function and in many ways just don't get it. Like it's that empathy thing again. Like they well, just don't you know, get they, it. They don't. Well, there's, there's a bunch of stuff I think that's interesting. One, you're talking about like the having to prove it stuff that the legal system wants. Right. But part of what social media is, is, um, and the web is, is sort of in your example is kind of surfacing is that whether or not something was provable in a court, right? Mm-hmm. Let's be real. The reality is, is the body never forgets, and the bodies of people who have been violated one way or another, they're living with it. <laughs> and they have a real experiences, and whether or not they're going to take someone to court and prove it in some technical way doesn't matter. The reality of their experience is the reality of their experience, and now because people have access to put the reality of their experience out there more, it's more public, and I'm sure it makes some people say, oh, that can't possibly be true, but it's absolutely true. It's just a different experience, and all that that means is it's heightening awareness of how out of touch people are with each other's experience. How exactly. The degree to which you're not checking in with knowing what someone else is really going on for them, is that's where the kind of misalignment you know, happens like crazy. I was, um, I was very involved when I was in college in dealing with sexual assault and rape stuff. And I was part of Yale Sexual Harassment Grievance Board, which was set up by Catherine McKinnon suing Yale. Um, and Catherine McKinnon's the law professor who invented sexual harassment law that later became well done when Anita um, Hill uh, testified about Clarence Thomas. 
And what became really clear to me as someone who became the person on campus that everyone told about their rapes and sexual assaults, mm-hmm. um, and then advocated as much as I could, was that many social situations, just like we're talking about tumbling for connection, many social situations are set up for rape. Literally, they are conditions for rape. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of fraternity situations that I saw were absolutely designed to make rape happen. That When you're talking about getting people drunk, one group of people being young women looking to sexually explore and have a new identity and a bunch of guys who are socially raised to not take no for an answer and not really communicate with each other about what they're doing. And then introduce a bunch of alcohol. Yeah. And then, and then have this sort of, I'm going to socially affirm myself by connecting with these guys through the social object body of this woman. Since we talk about social objects Mm -hmm. so much on, on uh, online, um, it just makes it almost inevitable that it's going to happen. And, that's something you can also shift if you choose. I mean, I learned some of the stuff that eventually pushed the way that I performed came from participating in a speak out uh, when I was in college. The power of publicly being heard from your experience, hearing women stand up in front of other people and talk about their assault and rape. Again, not necessarily suing somebody in a court of law, but just saying this happened to me. Here's my, here's how I feel. It was very powerful. I saw it change people's lives and that made a big impression on me in terms of what I could do in a performance or in a situation to make a conversation actually change things for people as opposed to just being a good time or something you cathartically watched over there. And I, I think the web sets the situation up more often. And you can have web environments that are set up to like what happened on Penny Arcade to make it much easier for people to not check in with who else is there. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, so I'm a comic. I do lots of rooms. Rape jokes happen one out of every 10 times I do a gig, maybe even less. One out of every seven times, somebody does a rape joke. Uh, last gig I did, someone did a rape joke. It was his closing joke, supposedly his best joke. The guy, uh, he's already made fun of his own race. He's African-American. He makes fun of three or four people's races. He thinks he's being politically incorrect. Um, he decides in his closing joke to describe literally someone being raped. Like she's being tied down. Her legs are taped to the chair. Like he's walking people through this situation. And then his joke dies. And I say to him at the end, you know, that joke's not going to work. I don't say you can't say that in public. I say, it's just not going to work. And his friend starts arguing with me about how funny it is and how great it is. I'm like, first of all, how many women are in this room? It happened to be a comedy audience that was half female, which isn't always typical. Like, it's like, you know, a quarter of women are survivors, just for starters. Is that any kept me saying, instead of you've been raped, if you pretend you've been raped and listen to the joke, I'm not telling you you can't say it. I'm saying that's part of who's in the room. So when you say this, it's going to change what the room feels like. If you're going to make, if it's going to be funny enough, it's got to take into account these people having that experience. And to me, these are some of the key issues. We're talking about rape per se, but I think this is key in any public conversational issue because someone is going to have this thing that's alive for them that might not be alive for you. Right. And is your goal that they're part of it or not? Like, that's your question. If you want them engaged, then it matters. I don't know how you feel things shook out with Penny Arcade. If they had to ask themselves, we want them to be here or just we don't care. No, they, um, they walked on that. Like, they, um, I think the, the the takeaway from them was, well, we deserve to lose those fans because we can't guarantee that we won't do this again. So, um, which is 
fine. Um, I don't read their site anymore, and I don't really feel the lack. <laughs> but I, you know, it, I think it becomes different when you're trying to build a inclusive convention for all fans of a given sort of culture or subculture. Uh, and then you start defining all as everyone, well, except for these people who are upset for this thing, and th- except for these people who are upset for, you know, you start slicing away, and you <laughs> you end up with, uh, I, well, in the end, you're going to end up with, like, the, the sort of the, the frat guys, like, the privileged. And then you can see like, what, and you can see what happened to Dig, who let an environment be for those guys, and it's hurt their business, because they topped out. They couldn't get bigger. Yeah. Mm. Um. And that's that's the thing. Like we were talking way earlier, where I was in the pre-show about audience and how you know I I try really hard to. And this is where I think that like language can kind of shape your sort of default assumptions about things, which is why I tend to be a little try to be pretty sensitive about word use. Uh, (laughs) Is I try not to like describe the game player audience. I also try not to call them gamers. I try to call them players because when. uh, one of the big things now, especially on like the social platforms, like um, and on the the mobile platforms, is you start you start calling them users or consumers, and then oh, start, we hate those words. You start getting really far away from gameplay, and so I, I I try so hard to like remind myself that like everyone means everyone, that uh, game players are, are is everybody, that everybody can play, that there are games for everybody, and if they're not, they should be. That you know this is a near universal audience because it's one of the few um, really universal things about the way our brains work, regardless of culture is that everybody has this drive to sort of solve puzzles and, and, um, and play games. Uh, it's one of the oldest things that have been involved. I mean, they, they've got games from 4,000 years ago uh, that, that are, you know, early versions of go. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, go is still awesome, you know, a thousand years later. And, uh, you know, given that, if you if you stop telling yourself that, if you stop making yourself deal with that, and stop listening to, it's like, well, but the majority of your audience is really just these people, and so then you just those that right. piece of the audience disappears. They just they're gone to you, and you do that enough times, yeah, you still have the majority of a the given demographic of who, of who you know, right? And, and then you don't know who doesn't like your website, your game. Yeah, you just yeah. Don't know about- yeah, and that's that's what's really sad is that it's like this when we say minority when we you know, versus majority, I mean like straight white men in the United States are only like thirty three percent of the population, um, so they're not. You know, it's a power majority and it's a perception majority. It's not an actual demographic majority, uh, which is you know how you end up with these. Why isn't this site growing more? Why is this forum such a cesspool? Why don't women like using this product or using this type of anything? You know, like we don't understand why this is so alien you know, to like these markets. It's I, like, I well, want to. I want to talk about something that's really <laughs> relevant to this um, that I saw during the show. I was on Twitter and I watched someone who interviewed me at um, at South by Southwest Hermione Way. We, I guess there's a McClure is having an event. He's guested on the show before right now. And she said, oh, Dave McClure has lots of startups in his pants or something like that. And McClure responded like something like, yes, you know it. And, and I just thought, you know, Dave, who's very successful in lots of ways, um, 
doesn't will not know all the deals and the stuff he doesn't get because people are afraid to talk to him when he does that. You know, I mean, it may not matter to him. Probably doesn't matter to him. But when you when you when you make those kinds of comments. Well, that's the thing. Dave made a habit of this, where he'd you know, make a, a presentation that was literally called "How to Give a, a, a VC a Hard On," and then didn't understand why that might put off um, female entrepreneurs. I think, or was- even some men entrepreneurs. That's the thing too. Is this yeah. yes. this assumption of what men as a as a concept is just as monolithic and stupid as what women sure. want as a concept? There's just an assumption that you're going to hear from everyone. It's a problem from and. Um, you're not, you're just not going to hear from them. And that, sometimes that won't matter if you have enough power, enough sway. Yeah, he doesn't care. He wants to be provocative. Well, he um, thinks he's being provocative. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be limited. He wants to be able to say whatever he wants, you know, um, I guess maybe, I don't know if that's it. You know, I mean, I would say, you know, focus on your work and not what's in your, your pants. If you're going to talk about it, then, <laughs> then, sh- then show it. Then why don't you take it out and really let us see if it's really as impressive because uh, you want to, you know, because I may have dicks in my drawer bigger than that. Um, you know, let's find out. I just feel like if once you have that conversation, you shift the tone of the room, you shift the, what you're talking about. And, and, and that may be what you want, but it definitely has an impact. And like you're saying with the audience in general, Courtney, you don't know who doesn't come. Yeah. Now, and I, I definitely know people who do that, who are like, well, I'm just a vulgar person. And I'm like, well, no, what you're saying isn't actually vulgar or you're, you're not saying anything provocative. Like you're, you actually just sound kind of stupid. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you're, you're like calling yourself a tard yes. and like calling, yeah. you know, like these things where I'm like, that's not, that's not like pushy, progressive, edgy commentary. That's like lazy year old rhetoric. You know, I'm like, well, you know, it reminds not- me. Yeah. It reminds me of what my mom used to say, you know, it, it you know, it, it at the risk of sounding, you know, it, we can sort of sound um, like we're going to wash your mouth out with soap here. But the older and more mature you get, when my parent, you know, my parents were against cursing because they thought it was lazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, what you're saying is, yeah, you think you're being interesting or provocative or whatever. But in a lot of ways, if even if you're not being offensive, you're just being like lazy. Oh, yeah. Like, you know. Like I like to say whatever you know, I'm a comic. I like to say all kinds of provocative stuff too. I, I just mean around around this particular thing when you're talking about an environment, say the startup environment that's overwhelmingly male and white to begin with. Um, you know, the, just you know, if you're paying attention to the social dynamic instead of the data, of what you're saying, then you become more conscious of you know, who's here and why, but you'd have, you'd have to focus on that as your goal. But you'd have to care also, Heather. I mean, I think the people who, <laughs> that's what I was saying, that has yeah. to be a goal focus for you. Yeah. It and, and, and most people, it's not, I mean, Dave doesn't care. I don't think he's, he, you know, it's not, um, he, well, see, that's, he doesn't care. That's you why know, I would it, then turn around and be like, who put him on a stage to give that talk with that title? He, you know, uh, he did. <laughs> Yeah, he, he so that's yeah. right. And so that's where it's like, okay, so for him, for his little fiefdom, that's fine. It's it, but generally, it's like you hit a point where it's like, okay, who's giving you a microphone here? Like who? Because at at a, a high enough level, somebody's going to start caring. Uh, I hope so you know, right, if, yeah, yeah. Myers is asking, don't people test a room and finding out what's going on? You know, you do certainly as a comic for sure. But I'll tell you what happens with people in this situation. Say something like Dave. Dave is perceived by, um, unless you're a VC or you're an investor with as much money as he has, or perceived to be as much deal flow, um, the power the, the power seems to be on his side, right? If people need what he has or perceive themselves as needing what he has. 
And so that's going to change who's going to respond or not respond in the room. And the other thing is people just won't respond in the room. Like he, after he gave that presentation one time, I just had four women, five women ask me for advice about how to humorously respond because they're pretty outraged, but they were afraid it would make them look uptight right. uh, or they'd be dinged if they said anything and they didn't really know how to. So what that means is there was a feeling just was unexpressed. And unless you're reading nonverbal cues, uh, you know, really reading a room. So I try to help teach people in, in, uh, in presenting to do, they're not going to know because no one's saying anything. They just left or they're just not there. Oh, and that's where, you know, I, I think that trying to like keep that in mind in advance. Cause I think I wish it could be a thing of like, you test the room to see which material you can get away with, as opposed to you test the room to see which material you have to cut. You know, like, <laughs> you know, to have this thing of like, no, there's, you know, I'm saying something that I am comfortable being heard by anyone. And then if I'm in certain circles where I can, you know, because there's definitely stuff that like I would say, like to Heather, because she has PTSD and I have PTSD, like we can talk in like a, a faster manner about deeper stuff. So you, you can just sort of move faster through that. You know, if you're in certain subsets of circles, whatever those are. Then you can add and you can sort of fine tune. But I, I, I always get distressed at this thing of like, well, I have to stop saying this. And I have to stop saying that. And I'm like, what the hell are you saying in the first place? That was so great that you couldn't <laughs> say it any other well, way. Well, well here's, this is the thing I would say. Uh, oh, Heather, you, fix your mic. I already did twice. Oh. Super, buzzy. <laughs> Super buzzy. Because want, we want to hear what you're saying. Try it again. Is this working now? Yay! Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that's better. One of the things that I talk about and I'm presenting that's so key is if you can learn that this reading the room business, if you can really work on it, reading social flow over informational flow, it helps in lots and lots of ways. And I would translate into tech talk as saying it's um it's like pinging the server, right? You want to keep pinging the room, and here's why: it's going to direct what information to put out. And and if 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 you look at this from a purely data point of view, you're going to have the kind of comments you're talking about, Courtney. I can't say anything. I have to remember this list, uh, like a white list of words that I can't say this and I can't say that because you're offended by this and that and the other thing. It's true. That is a pain in the ass, right? Once it becomes like a long list of say this and don't say this, that's all true. What becomes much more simple is a sort of pinging and checking in, which is a more emotional skill set. When you use that, I always say to people, look, if you meet, um, what's the, uh, uh, Dave, right? McCure. I got I already forgot his name. <laughs> Dave doesn't go as David. I've never heard anyone call him David, right? No. Now, what if I'm on stage with him and I refer to him as David eight times and he says, Heather, Dave, you know, everyone's like, McCure, everyone calls Dave, McCure, what's up? And I keep doing it. Yeah, David, blah, 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 blah. I'm denying. I'm doing, you know, an improvisation right. denying. I'm like, I, okay, that's not as touchy a word as rape or this about gender, that about race. But it's the same deal. It's just someone going, look, I like this. And uh, and if you're checking with the person, it doesn't feel so much. It'll be easier than trying to memorize a list of words. If you have Asperger's, you might not have a lot of choice because you can't train, you know, literally do the, the uh, social read. But practicing the social read actually makes this stuff be less work in the long run because otherwise yeah. it, you're talking about trying to memorize rule sets and there are so many rule sets. It will make you crazy. And I can see why someone might feel overloaded. Like, Oh my God, I'll never remember all this. It's like, if you pay attention to this person, you don't have to memorize anything. Cause they'll tell you like the exactly. will tell you <laughs> to think of it as like a, you know, 
server side app, like the server side will tell you all the stuff. You won't have to do it all. <laughs> I, like, I like that metaphor. We trying to translate. That. You see what I'm saying? For someone yeah. who's yes. trying to do this thing as pure data, like that's what happens when you start checking in and it will seem weird at first, but very quickly it'll, it will tell you, it will make life much easier, but well, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Finish your sentence. No, you go ahead. Okay. Um, are you guys familiar with Jay Smooth who does, uh, yeah, I'm a big, yeah. big, big fan. I, I always tell my uh, my partner, I'm like, that's that's the one guy who could give you a run for your money. Uh, so Jay Smooth does, um, he had a video a while ago. I think it was. His best known video, I think, really. It, 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 you know what I'm going to talk about? Where he yeah, because they did it on NPR. That thing you post, just said was racist. Yeah, the, the post-racial well, because he was talking about the uh, the post racial America and how like well now that we have a black president, so this was back in like oh eight oh nine, um, people saying like okay, well we don't have to worry about like racism anymore, like because we have a black president now, so like we're done with that. Um, and uh, and his point was that the way <laughs> relationships work is that you don't like hit a threshold where you get to just stop caring about the other person uh, that actually the whole point of like being closer and with, you know, either as two communities or as two individuals is that you care more and they're what, how they feel and like what they think matters more to you because you care more about them. And so this idea that you can just go back to saying like the N word, or you can just no longer worry about like the thoughts and feelings of like black people that you encounter because we have a black president. He's like, that's not the deal. Like you don't, get off the hook for that you're supposed to actually give more of a shit you know if you want to resolve like the sort of like racial issues and stuff is you have to actually give a crap about them and you have to keep doing that and you have to mean it uh which i thought was a good analogy because i certainly know that like you know you don't like move in with somebody and then look at them and be like okay i don't care about your feelings good luck you know like you it's supposed to you know be personal to you I mean, that's part of a shift to a relational economy, yeah, that this is why I believe, um, you know, in, in my WITH project, that I think the business world is now dealing with the same issues that social justice is dealing with. Because I think all, every social justice issue is this issue. It, right. It's really, can I hear you? Can I see you? Can I respond yeah. to what's going on with you? And all the isms are subsets of that kind of guess universal design problem, which is I don't see you. And stereotypes are a version of that, right? Like I've got one rule set for everybody uh, that's going to fit you all, which of course it doesn't. Or they're all versions of I'm not looking at you. I'm just accessing data in my brain that I'm assuming is right about whatever's in front of me. Right. And that's what we're really, you know, I think in in a slow progress of having to to move towards. I know Deb's got to get going, so I want to just get you in here before you... You need to run. Oh, here I'm. I'm here. Oh, I, I I'm thought just maybe you wanted to say something. No, 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 no. I just wanted to to let you guys know that I'm I'm gonna have to leave eventually. Yeah, I'm actually gonna have to leave pretty soon too. I've got an early morning tomorrow. Yeah, it's late on the East Coast. That's right. it is. It's like eleven fifteen. Right. So do you, do you think Courtney? I just saw a piece uh, in a Canadian paper. I don't know if it's a Canadian ide- idealistic hope. Suggesting that maybe Charlie Sheen is part of the topping out of lad culture of this sort of um, a lad as an elite like yeah like, like let's have these environments where it's hot to be like Tucker Max woo, yeah you know, the I don't of, know <laughs> I'm working over chicks do you think the internet is moving 
closer yeah. or farther away to that or not, not <laughs> I think tired of it or every time I think that we're going to top out something worse happens. Like I thought Adam Carolla was going to be the pinnacle and then like, yeah, he's like nothing now compared to Charlie Sheen. Um, I think that, uh, quite literally it is going to take the death of these people. I like, I don't, I think it's going to be shrinking in numbers. I mean, I, I grew up in Indiana. The clan still meets annually. It's really sad and really small, but it's still there. You know, uh, it's, I think that some of these ideas are going to get passed down, uh, to fewer and fewer people, you know, but there's, it's going to be very painful and very vocal, uh, for the people who've lived their entire lives where more people or they perceived more people agreeing with them about this stuff. So I think that like, or they didn't have to listen to all the people. I mean, that's part of what happens when everyone can get a blog, right? Is you can hear from the people who don't agree with you, which you didn't hear before. But that's the other, um, I was going to mean to interrupt. I was thinking of those people going to, no, I think, um, human nature is human nature. Evolution is what it is. And people who are going to, be one way or the other, hate or not listen, or just going to be that way. The difference might be that they get to go off in their own homophilies and just talk to each other. The question is whether there'll be, to me, it's, it's goes back to whether they'll be accepted on the main stage. Like when we, well, Glenn Beck's not on Fox news anymore. So yeah, until there's a new person who comes around, but I think, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of, a lot more cycles, but I guess your point, Heather is, um, I'm curious to see if they're going to continually be accepted on the main stage, meaning, you know, mainstream, big stuff. It's acceptable to say A, B, and C. I was just thinking it was getting to be, as a trend, boring just because it was so common and saturated that people might just be like, we want something new. Yeah, I think that's probably more the reason it'll disappear because it's just boring. Like, Like you were saying before, Courtney, it's like, yeah, it's just not that interesting when you say tard or retard. Like, you know, it's sort of... It's, it's a, yeah, I mean, in that way, maybe you're right, but not on all issues, just on... No, I was just in this one particular thing. Like, it was seen as edgy, but if everyone's doing it, then the guys who are 10 years younger than you, how edgy is it for them to do it? Right. Like, yeah, I think it's going to fade. Like, I, I just think it's going to be... They're going to clamor louder and louder and louder the less and less they feel that they're being heard. Uh, something hilariously related to this is that, that uh, a couple weeks ago, on one of the game... Uh, Game Maker's uh, forums, BioWare has a huge social forum for their fans. And this one fan wrote this very long, very angry complaint about how their most recent game was like so clearly not tailored for straight male gamers and how that was a mistake because they're the main market and they need to like respect that. And he's so disappointed that like he can't just call himself a fan anymore and he has to actually call himself a straight male gamer and like that there's gay characters <laughs> in the game hitting on him and it made him feel uncomfortable and there should be a no homosexuality button so he shouldn't have to hear that and just on because wow. they're like, you know, because he's like their bread and butter and like, why are they spending all this time putting in features for, like, a tiny percentage of, of gamers? Like, how many women and how many gay guys even play games? And, oh, my God, it was just wow. it was borderline performance art. Like, I was seriously several times. I'm like, is this real? Uh, and uh, where was this? On, on BioWare's forums. Um, oh, we got to find that link. That's the, just precious. The lead writer for the game he was complaining about, David Gator, wrote this phenomenal wall of text smackdown where he basically was like what you're articulating is privilege and not being like handheld and raised up is feels like enough of a smack in the face to you that 
that's what you're feeling right now. And no, we actually do care about all of our audience and it doesn't cost very many more resources to put a gay character into the game. And that's important to us. And it was just awesome. Like it was a wall of awesome. And I just, I couldn't believe that that was like an official message from one of the like head yeah. employees from but the company. But it's also just so fascinating to hear yeah. him going on and on. The cluelessness. I mean, I use the word precious and almost... Yeah, I the, know. It's adorable. I thought it was but, adorable. But I actually mean it in <laughs> real, the real sense of the word. Like, that is yeah. so precious because I didn't know that person existed anymore. That and, like, and apparently yeah. was fairly young, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. very upset. But at the same time, like, for... That's the thing. There's still pockets where it's possible to go for a decade or two and feel like you're kind of cock of the walk, so to speak, um, culturally, that there's certain things that are just for you. And then to lose those or to feel like you're losing those or to have those things infringed upon, oh, God, by gays <laughs> of all things. My <laughs> little itty bitty violin that's playing for you. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't know people were still scared of gays. Yeah, how much of that, Courtney, is because nerd guys? Like the thing they've all had to suffer is being called fag by frat guys who you know weigh eight times as much as they do. Well, I think that there's definitely. Um, I, I have often contemplated the bitter irony of this like vicious like attacks being leveled at me from people who I would think would know what it's like to be verbally abused and beaten up. I thought we all got stuffed in lockers. Like I, you know. <laughs> like I thought that was like not everybody sh- got stuffed in lockers. Ex- cool. Well, that's the thing. Not everybody had that nerd experience, but they still identify as nerd. Like that idea of what you have, like, well, but you know, they all got picked on because they're all like skinny and like weak, or they're all like fat and awkward, and they all don't know how to talk to girls, and they all don't know. How- I don't think that's true. I think that there's plenty of people who you know enjoy these products who think that they're for them who just don't want. Like I don't, you know, I don't think we can like type you know, that kid's life based on what he's upset about beyond that it's kind of sheltered and precious <laughs> that he's managed to still feel this way about what yeah. his media should and shouldn't contain for him. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. 